Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Gulf Coast Poker Podcast. I'm Gene D. and I'm here with my partner in crime, Wild Bill Phillips. Uh, before we bring on uh, this episode's guest, Bill, we'll go ahead and plug our next event and welcome a new host that will be joining us in the podcast going forward. Bill, go ahead and take it away. Uh, thanks, Gene. Uh, our next event, December 8th through the 18th, Valley Shreveport, the Holiday 400K. We're partnering with Southern Poker and obviously Valley Shreveport. We got 400K or $400,000 in guarantees. They got a cool, super, they call it a Texas stack event, Monday, uh, where you get 50000 in chips. We're going to have our double and triple bag bonus in the opening weekend before that. Our main event will be 600 um, with a 100K guarantee on that. And we all we have all kinds of little guarantees in the middle of it. We're also using our 9 to 5 workers event that we normally do at Poker Draw. We've got a mystery bounty, a seniors event. We've got a lot of good stuff there. Right now, we have a link on our Facebook page where you can get discounted rooms. I think they're about 40% off if you want to go and book there. Um. So I'm advising everybody to get their rooms quickly because it's not a gigantic hotel, so they're going to go fast. But we're expecting a really good turnout for that, December 8th through the 18th. The other thing I want to do is introduce somebody who has been on our podcast before, kind of as a guest, maybe um, is not even sure if that podcast is, is in our archives anymore or not, but it's Ben Saxton. Ben is known around the region as uh, an avid poker follower, a writer, somebody who's working on a book about poker in and around New Orleans. Is that is that correct, Ben? It is. Yeah, it's, it's great to be with you guys. And, um, yeah, I've been uh, sort of connected to the, the Gulf Coast scene since about 2015, since I moved to, to New Orleans and shone a lot of, like, poker-focused writing. And, um, yeah, and, and in what I would say is the, the later stages of um, uh, finishing up a book about uh, poker in New Orleans and along the Gulf Coast. So, yeah, it's great to great to be with you guys. Yeah, we're excited to have Ben because Ben, if anybody's been reading his interviews over the years, and we've linked to him a lot off our site, they really are good at getting to know people and the different personalities that play poker on the Gulf Coast, and that ties in really closely with what we're trying to do on this podcast in terms of you know putting a spotlight on people that we play with or play our events. So we're excited about that. Uh, to get started, we're going to do a little roundtable between Ben, me, and Gene, and we're going to discuss some events in poker right now. Okay, everyone, before we get to our guests for this episode, uh, we're going to go ahead and do a, a little roundtable chat on the recent poker topics. Uh, ben, Wild Bill, and me. Um, guys, what do you got? Well, I think some of the topics that we want to cover today, uh, in fact, they're going to make <laughs> be fodder for a much overdue update on the website for some of our content. Uh, I need to get this up there, but we're going to talk about a couple of folks that have had uh, pretty decent scores, um, maybe some poker and entertainment, maybe touch on the FTX scandal a little bit, um, 
and kind of poker players who in the past were kind of center of controversy and now it's on mainstream without mainstream kind of realizing their past. And I think Ben has a couple other topics he wants to, to mention too. Well, good deal. The only thing that um, I wanted to chat about was the latest news uh, out of Texas with the uh, legislature. It seems that there's still some kludginess as far as whether those poker rooms are, are actually going to stay open. And I think it kind of, you know, Bill, you can chime in. We've been eager to try to bring Gulf Coast poker to Texas, but also have had some reservations uh, with the legality of it. And it just seems like it's never going away. Uh, the, the minute they think that everything's legal, then bam, something else, some kind of legislation is going back through to shut them down. Yeah, I, I find, in my opinion, there's there's two pieces of legislation in Texas that are interesting. There is another push, which to be determined if it gets approved or not, to have legal casinos in Texas. Generally, when there's legal casinos in a state, much like in Louisiana, they push out all these kind of underground or above ground poker clubs. If Texas gets casinos, I think that will be the death knell of the poker room. But like you mentioned, it's almost like they're trying to clear the deck before that, and they're having legislation to try and make that stuff illegal now. You know, I, like you said, we'd love to get Gulf Coast poker there. We'd love to do events there. We'd love to be in Texas. There's just the question marks of the legality of whether it is or it isn't, and you hate to have an event, and while you're there, they get busted for whatever. It's just a risk we haven't been willing to take as of yet, unless there's maybe some sort of clear decision on it. It's kind of hard to want to go to Texas. And I feel for those players there because those clubs are booming and people have made investments and um, there's, there's great poker scenes there that potentially could go away. And who knows, maybe it goes away and they don't have the casinos. And then they're just even further underground. Right. So didn't they didn't they recently, like a couple of months ago, had a big tournament and they they raided it during the tournament and basically, you know, did a cash grab and took all the all the prize money and everything. If I, if I remember right, I I believe you were correct. It's happened at least once, maybe twice, and the people that are kind of pro Texas poker clubs are saying, well, that's just in one jurisdiction and it doesn't really apply to the other places, but they kind of, as I understand it, they rated them based on Texas law, not some sort of local jurisdictional law that, that in their opinion of that police department, the club was operating illegally. And I, right. I think it also goes back. You remember a long time ago, the prime and those clubs in Houston got in trouble. And then the court case went away. And a lot of people viewed that as, okay, well, it's okay to play in those clubs because the court case went away. In reality, the only reason the charges got dropped and the case went away was on a technicality because I'm pretty sure Prime and maybe one or two other clubs in Houston, if I'm remembering right, hired somebody on the city council to advise them on the legality of the poker room. So then because of that kind of dubious connection, they 
the prosecutor said we can't we can't charge them and there's you know there's conflicts of interest or something but they didn't say poker is legal you know what i mean it wasn't like they said we're dropping the charges because it's perfectly legal for them to do it they dropped the charges because there was a technicality in the way that uh, the businesses were set up so right. i'm not sure that's proof that it's legal and you know if that other jurisdiction was purely acting on texas law then yeah it, uh, i think everyone's at risk of it and you're right they took it was a money grab i think they took all the money that was in the place including the money on the players and i think they even arrested some of the players not just the um the operators but right. i you know a lot of times they get arrested or whatever and the charges get dropped and i don't think they get their money back but i think they usually get out of legal trouble all right. Well, we'll see how this new legislation uh, goes through. I mean, it was in the news the last couple of days. And how do you feel about yeah. it? You used to live in Houston. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm sort of um, agnostic on on. Uh, I, I don't I don't I don't know if I even have a preference or, and I certainly don't have a prediction. I I, I guess I'm more of an interested onlooker. I, so when I lived in Houston. Um, there were no quasi-legal card rooms. So this was from like, you know, the mid 2000s to like 2014 was when I was in Houston. So you basically could drive to Lake Charles, which I did a handful of times, or you could, you know, there was certainly a thriving underground scene and there still is, um, but the landscape was different. Um, and I, yeah, I'm just sort of interested to, to kind of see where this goes because, you know, Gene, the, the, the article that you you sent us, which maybe we can link to in the show notes, um, basically is 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 directly confronting the these quasi legal card rooms, and they're just kind of trying to change the the terminology. So the current law, according to this art article, allows gambling to occur in a quote unquote private place, and then this bill that has just been filed, they want to amend the wording to state that gambling must occur in a quote, private residence. So I guess that terminology would undermine the, um, you know, the primes and the, the uh, Texas card houses of, of, of the state. Um, yeah, so I am I'm just kind of interested to see where this goes. And I do not have, you know, really any, any firsthand experience. I play, I played at prime one time when, uh, I don't even know if it's still open. I think it might still be open, but it's, it's not the, the, it's, it's not the leader in terms of the, the Houston landscape these days. But yeah, my sense is that the, that Texas is, is really booming right now. And, uh, there's obviously a lot of money to be made. So I wonder, you know, what the incentive is for these, you know, uh, legislators, if, if, they, if the end game is, and I don't know if you guys are, feel comfortable speculating on this, if, if the end game is legal casinos or, or not, or if there's just some other end game in mind. Well, you know, the rumor all along is that the Oklahoma casinos and the Louisiana casinos invested heavily in texas politicians to keep casinos out of texas and the rumor now is the people that want to bring casinos to texas might be investing a little more heavily than the folks on the border of texas so 
potentially, you know, money speaks. Those politicians might have a change of heart. I think that is bad, ultimately, for Texas poker clubs. It's weird. You mentioned residents. One time I went to Austin, pre-Texas poker clubs, and I played in a a residence, if you can call it that. I think somebody might have lived there, but it was – I don't a multi-room townhouse with poker tables in every room except for a bedroom that somebody lived in. And I wonder if that is like going to have to be they're going to have uh that'll be the model for the new Texas clubs is the 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 loophole. I can just envision that somebody with a bedroom and then, you know, 20 tables in the the rest of his quote-unquote residence. I don't know. Um I'm sure somebody will explore that if that is the way the the law is written. Right. You wonder if this will just lead to more, like, if, if this is all just about exploiting loopholes, like, suddenly there's just a different loophole to exploit. I don't I wonder if it'll just sort of change the way that these, um, yeah, these game runners tr- try to keep keep the games going. Good deal. Right. Is there, uh, uh, is there any other topics? What else we got? So I want to bring up, there's uh, two entertainment pieces coming out one might already be out and gene you're kind of uh my entertainment guy i think you watch more movies and and shows than anybody i know and you seem to always have your finger on on these things one is poker face which is a quote-unquote poker movie that stars russell crowe and from what i understand reading early reviews is that basically the poker game is kind of the backdrop and the plot isn't really around poker or whatever. He's maybe having a home game for high stakes. And I think I read that it might show one hand and that's it. Um, and the other project that I've read about is called Poker Face as well, same title, but it's a 10 show miniseries on Peacock. And it's about somebody that this girl who is really adept at knowing when people are lying. So when they're bluffing, essentially. So I think poker, again, will be in the backdrop. And I I wanted to ask Eugene, you saw The Card Counter, and I think you like that movie. But is it – we're not really getting – like Rounders was a movie about poker. It seems like all the kind of like poker and entertainment these days are kind of in the backdrop or uh, on the aside. And, you know, was that true in The Card Counter? And and do you think that's accurate? And what does that say about poker? It was. It's exactly the same uh, in card counter. The, the poker was just kind of an ancillary um, thing that was going on uh, in the movie. Uh, it had a whole, you know, other plot that was going on as far as uh, him being a, a CIA operative, uh, torturing prisoners, and uh, you know, him working for. Uh, this guy, and he just, you know, the, the, the poker just kind of revolves around that storyline. Uh, of course, there were some some locals in it. Captain Tom Franklin uh, was in it. So, you know, they, and they, they filmed it in Biloxi, so I know they got a lot of uh, kudos for that as far as having the actors around. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah, it was disappointing to me. I mean, I didn't see the whole movie, but it's funny. When I was going to the World Series this past year, I was watching it on the airplane. And I think I fell asleep or maybe it was a little bit depressing. And I was like, this isn't what I want to watch when I'm going to go out and kind of grind for like a 
you know, 10 days or whatever. And I wanted something upbeat, but I didn't, didn't even see the ending of it. And from talking to you, it sounds like the ending was um, a little, uh, I wouldn't say sad, but yeah, maybe a little bit. It kind of takes a weird turn away from the poker. But it's disappointing to me as a poker lover that you, they they have these opportunities to kind of show the game one way, and then they kind of just take right turns and, and kind of leave it behind. You know, I don't think we're going to get another rounders. I don't think so either. I mean, lucky you. Um, there's a couple other ones out there that are B and C list movies, but you know, putting something, you know, rounders was so good. Putting something together to try to compete with that is going to be really tough. And of course, we've always had the rumors of rounders too. Uh, that would be interesting because they, they, you know, they could take off right from, you know, him getting in the cab and going to the World Series of Poker. So it'd be cool if they uh, could bring the actors back and so on and so forth. Yeah, it feels like every couple of years you, you hear somebody talking about, oh, rounders too. And there's always these plot lines in poker, Black Friday, um, Texas poker clubs, whatever. You know, we in the last 10, 15 years since rounders, there's all these different elements that you could maybe plug those characters in and make a really good movie, but just hasn't happened. What did you all think of, and, uh, um, what do you all think of Molly's game? I feel like that was another, that was sort of the last mainstream poker movie that I, that I feel like, um, went over decently well. I mean, I, I read the book as well. Did you guys like, did you guys like that one or no? Yeah, I'm a I'm a big Jessica Chastain fan, to be honest with you. I think she's a really good actress. Um, and I think she played the part really good, too. Uh, I, I liked Molly's Game. That was probably my second favorite poker movie behind Rounders, actually. Yeah, yeah I liked it, too. Interestingly enough, I, I watched that on an airplane as well, going to a poker tournament. Um but yeah, I enjoyed it as well. You're right. That that definitely is one that's kind of like rounders, that's or more great, so. Yeah, cool earlier, 2017. Yeah, but for me, I mean, I have to go outside of poker to, to find like the last the last show or movie that I thought captured gaming really well was the, the Queen Queen's Gambit. Um, and I, I think one reason why it was so successful for me is because it used chess as more of a backdrop um, and it was more character driven than trying to sort of detail the nuances of the game playing. Because I think once you get into the game playing, you start dealing with problems of translation, you know, like if you're, if you're trying to explain the intricacies of like a poker hand to a mainstream audience, I think it's going to get, um, it's going to bog down the action pretty quickly. Um, so I, I haven't seen either the card counter or the the new poker face. Um, I heard the the Russell Crowe is pretty bad. I, I probably I want to reserve judgment and maybe read a little bit more about it. But I but I am planning to watch. I appreciate this because I am planning to watch the card counter. So it's like back on my radar now. So thanks for thanks for that. Yeah, and don't forget that there's a series on Peacock which is totally unrelated to Russell Crowe with the same name and. In the little, um, I guess, trailer that I saw for it, they definitely had poker in there. You know, it, it might be one minute of the whole series or 
uh, it might be that she's a professional poker player or something like that. But um, I am interested to see if that one's good too. Yeah, and and I, I I'm looking at it right now. It looks promising. The actress um, is the same woman who played uh, the lead in Russian Doll, which is which I, which is a show maybe on Netflix that I really enjoyed. So I'll definitely keep keep this one in mind too. So I guess uh, another topic that we kind of wanted to touch on, we spoke about it briefly beforehand, is what's going on with FTX, some of these poker connections that are possibly there. And then just kind of more broadly speaking, how it seems like a lot of people, uh, well, let's just get into FTX. Apparently some of the principals or some of the lawyers or people associated with the company were at one time involved in some of the uh, websites, Ultimate Bet or Absolute, I'm not sure which of the two, where they fleeced people. And one of the ways they fleeced people on those websites is they basically took users' funds and, and, and used them for something else, which is very similar to what happened with FTX. The money was kind of stored there and, and they took it from one pot and put it into another. And, you know, is anybody betting these guys? Because this one of the, I think it was an attorney that was involved. It was pretty high up in the FTX. And, or maybe they are betting him and that's why they wanted him because he had the experience of doing just that. I don't know. And then we also spoke about Annie Duke, who's presenting her. She's started a whole new career as a corporate speaker and positioned herself as this poker expert who can apply poker decision-making to corporations and just, you know, TED Talks and that kind of stuff. But the corporate world is completely unaware of her past and, and the couple of scandals she was embroiled in. Um, and it doesn't seem like to me anybody's betting it. You guys That's have any thoughts on that? that? I haven't heard any Duke's name in years. That's crazy. Yeah, so I... I I do. I mean, I, 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 Annie Duke has really successfully rebranded herself as a kind of self-help guru who can, um, she kind she kind of pitches herself, um, you know, somebody who can help entrepreneurs and tech gurus make better decisions. And so she's, she's written a few books and, and her first one was called Thinking in Bets. Um, and she she just came out with another book uh, that's called Quit: The Power of Knowing When to Walk Away. And so she's starting yeah. to do some promotion for the book. And she she just went on um, a podcast called Econ Talk, which is very successful. They have a lot of prominent guests. I, I listen to um, episodes now and then. And I've actually listened to I, I can't remember she went on another podcast and I listened to. To, to, to part of that. And so um, when the, the podcast host, Russ Roberts, he just tweeted out um, the, the, the link to the episode, inevitably there's going to be some, um, yeah, I mean, maybe uh, poker players who are just trying to raise awareness or maybe they're a little bit resentful about the fact that Annie Duke can just sort of get away with this. She, she, she has a kind of squeaky clean image um, in the mainstream media. And 
So they're tweeting at this podcast says, hey, like, have you Googled Annie Duke and poker? Like, have you done any background research on who this person is? Because you're missing a whole lot about this person's person's story. And, you know, time and time again, it just it just doesn't seem to make a difference. Um, so for me, I mean, this this kind of gets back to this. It feels like a chasm between um, uh, mainstream media uh and the way that they view poker the way that they view like what it means to be a poker pro or a former poker pro which any duke is you know and then the poker world itself which is obviously you know has intimate knowledge of all the scandals that any duke was involved with and there just doesn't seem to be much of a conversation going between them and and it was kind of sad, like Russ Roberts, the the podcast host of Econ Talk. He just started block. He just was like, "You're, you know, you're blocked. You're blocked. You're blocked." He just shut down any conversation. Like he wasn't, didn't appear to be willing to, um, to do, you know, to, to just do some more research about his podcast guests. Yeah, but it's interesting because there's that element too, and then there's another element that I've noticed, which is maybe. I think applicable to the the bigger the world at large, but in my own personal life, anytime there's some sort of poker player tangentially involved in a scandal, my non-playing poker friends will kind of like send me the link or text me that, and and you know kind of you know suggest that poker players are dirty, and they kind of did that with the FTX thing. And I said, well. But you realize the guy that you're talking about fleeced poker players or was there when poker players were fleeced. He's no friend to poker players. Like you're you're he did the same thing to us he did to you. Maybe maybe the mainstream world should be paying attention to what's going on with these crooks and not just say painting such a broad brush and saying, Yeah, um poker related is, is bad and, and you know. My opinion has always been that Poker reflects the world at large. You have just as many good people, bad people, or whatever. It's just a, a cross section of the world. Um, but for, you know, I used to kind of do a run and bit on our site where there would be some sort of scandal. And the title of any article about the scandal, if the guy even like played poker online or played live or had like a cash on Hidden Mob, it was always Poker Pro you know, Rob's bank or whatever. And then you would do a little research and this guy, you know, is the the farthest thing possible is a poker club, but it just seems like if they can pull poker out of there, they're going to do it with a, a negative connotation, which I guess if you think about it is makes Annie Duke's uh, cleansing of herself even more impressive that she can somehow stifle these major scandals she's been embroiled in and not have you know, that taint behind her when it seems anybody else associated with poker seems to um, usually have a bad taste. I don't know. Uh, it's like if you're a big enough name, maybe it doesn't apply to you. But if you're lower on the totem pole, you know, they, there's negative connotations. Do you guys feel that way or is, am I uh, limited yeah. in my? No, I, I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I have like I, I, I it's definitely a certain level of respect for Andy Duke for her ability to um yeah, scrub her reputation and um yeah, like I I've listened to, to to 
a couple of podcast conversations she's done. I've, I've read par- parts of her books and um, I feel like she's, you know, she, some of the advice is really sound and she presents herself really well. So I, I think that part of it is, you know, good on you. And then the other part of it is um, you know, there's, there's an element of dishonesty, dishonesty there when you're misrepresenting you're just you're just sort of like misrepresenting yourself via omission, right? Like she's not she completely refuses to engage. She's completely detached herself from the poker community, um, and so that feels a little bit um, a little bit shady to, to me. So so I'm definitely I have I have mixed feelings about it, but there is some level of respect that I have for for sure. Yeah, that's a good point because she could totally, well, still pivot. And acknowledge the things that she was been in, maybe even, you know, defend herself a little bit. It's not really clear what in either of the kind of two big scandals she was in, how much she was involved. I know some people feel very strongly that she was at the center or close to it on both, but she could pivot, acknowledge those things, and even use those for part of her books or her lessons and, you know, steer critics to read the book. You know, I think you're right. Her just totally ignoring it, it is. A little bit that yeah it does feel dishonest yeah uh, all right guys well we're gonna go ahead and uh wrap it up uh, everyone stay tuned um we've got um some guests coming up um stay tuned thanks okay guys that was a great conversation let's get to our guests gene can you tell us about our guests Yes. Uh, well, we have uh, a couple that we're going to have on today uh, that is known around the, the Gulf Coast. Uh, Prissy and Jerry Joa. Prissy, Jerry, you guys are there? Yeah. Hi. How are you doing? Yeah, we are, Jane. Thanks. We appreciate the invite. All righty. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for coming on. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, the the first question we're going to have for you guys is the same question we ask to every guest uh, with a little bit of twist since you guys are a couple. Um, how did you guys wind up getting in this, you know, poker world that we all find ourselves in, uh, cash and, and tournaments? And uh, how did you guys meet and fall in love? Okay, well, I'll I'll start with. Uh, me because I guess I was the first one that uh, started playing poker um, about 20 years ago. Uh, my son-in-law then invited me over to a poker tournament in his garage, a $20 buy-in, which had, I would say, five or six players the first night that I attended. And I told him I didn't know how to play poker. I had never played it. He says, no big deal. It's 20 bucks. Come play. We'll teach you. And so they did. Played a few hands uh, face up. Showed me how the game went. And, of course, I made lots of mistakes the first time I played. But uh, really enjoyed it. Had a good time. Uh, we then started uh, going. I started going to their little weekly tournament playing. And I started studying, reading, and just kind of learning more about how to play poker and got a lot better at it. So eventually I was winning almost every time we went because I was playing with a lot of amateurs and I was the one that was serious. They were mostly drinking. So 
So it was it was fun, and you know I was winning money at the time, and then eventually that broke up, and so we had to find a place to play, and then that's when we started going to casinos and playing. I actually learned how to play from my dad when I was about four or five years old, but at that time, Texas Hold'em wasn't a thing. It was just either five-card or seven-card stud that I actually learned how to play, but he never taught me how to bet, but... I didn't really play a lot after being a kid. And then we started playing, like Jerry said, he played at our ex-son-in-law's garage. And then we would do a few people over here every now and then we'd play in our kitchen. And that's really when I started playing. And then when the game shut down in our ex-son-in-law's garage, we had to find another place to play. And then we started playing at Cypress Bayou Casino in their poker room. But Jerry would play in the poker room, and I just didn't feel confident enough, so I played table games on the floor, and he played in the room. And after, I guess, about a year and a half or so, he finally convinced me to play. And then the very first night I played cash, I got aces my first hand, hit a straight flush that night, and I was hooked. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. So tell us a little bit. So poker came – the two of y'all, obviously, poker came after y'all had been married. So how did y'all meet? And uh, give us a little background about y'all's history. All right, I'll start that one as a little bit. It, I was back when I was in high school. We've been married since 19, summer of 1974. But I was a junior in high school when we first met. And he was working at a newspaper where my mother worked. And he, she kept telling him that, I want you to meet my daughter. And finally, one Saturday, I went in there and I met him. And, Jerry, you can continue with the rest of the story. Yeah, her her mother-in-law, or my mother-in-law, her mom, really liked me. I was going to college at the time and working, and uh, she saw that I was a diligent worker, didn't curse, very polite, respectful. So she liked me and wanted me to meet her daughter. Which, which I finally did. Uh, but when we met at, at the newspaper shop where I worked, um, the guy I worked with, we both met Chrissy at the same time. And after she left, I said, yeah, I'm going to call her and ask her out. And I was pretty shy. I did, I, I'd never been on a date, actually. I was in college and never dated. Uh, then uh, two weeks go by and Glenn was his name. He says, uh, did you ask Prissy out? I said, no, not yet, but I will. He says, well, I give you another week. If you don't, I will. I'm glad he huh. did. <laughs> so that's, that's how we met and uh, had the first date, and then you know, everything else is history from there. So if he doesn't say that, you don't ask her out? I, I don't know, Bill. I was... Uh, <laughs> I was, I was a little gun shy there. Um, like I said, I, I did not date. I was super shy as a, as a kid. Um, mm-hmm. I just played sports and that's where my, my confidence was. Uh, dating was not a big deal to me at the time. You know, I was working and playing sports and that's it. Yeah. That, that's interesting. That my, go ahead. That's no, one of the interesting parts of, of our meeting too is I was a junior in high school. So I was 
16, 15, 16 when we met. And when we got married, I was only 17, which we got married two months after my high school graduation. And nobody thought we'd make it. And we're still here today. So, yeah, there and you I go. did stay a college guy while in high school. <laughs> well, you were set up by your mom, right? So it's okay. Yeah, pretty much, huh? Yeah, and yeah, I was gonna go ahead, Bill. No, I was just gonna say it's funny that um, your shyness played into it like that. Uh, my parents oddly went on two blind dates, and I think my dad the second time didn't realize that he'd previously been on a blind date with my mom before that, but he never <laughs> followed up the second time. And he was in the library, um, and he was with a friend, and then I guess my mom, mom walked by. And his friend was kind of, you know, said something very approving of her. And that inspired my shy dad to go, well, I better go ask her out on another date. You know, it's kind of very similar parallel to you guys. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of that prodding, I guess, that said, you know, it's not like it's open-ended. I can do it anytime. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to wait this out. No, I had to either act or I was going to lose out. Yep. Same Similar thing. So you guys have played. So you guys have played together in home games. I know y'all. Uh, you know, I've talked to y'all before. Y'all don't like to be on the same table together. Um, talk a, a little bit about why that makes y'all uncomfortable, and um, you know, what what are some of the hurdles y'all face as being a couple that plays poker? Well, I've start out answering that I think when we first started playing poker and we were on the same team uh, we would play differently if you know one of us was in a hand uh, an example I can really remember is uh, I was on the button once with a pretty strong hand that in normal times I would have raised that button with that hand I think it was like ace jack or ace queen suited or something I don't really remember but it was a strong hand and Chrissy was in the big blind. It's like, well, she's short. I don't want to take her blind away. So I'm just going to fold. And I did. And the small blind raises. Chrissy gets in the hand and she loses the hand to the small blind, which I would have won that hand. So possibly had I raised with the hand Chrissy had, she probably folds, stays in the game, but instead she's knocked out by the small blind. So that kind of gave me the feeling that, you know, trying to help her playing at a table, and now I would look at that as probably being collusion, uh, that I actually hurt her by doing it. And so we talked about it a lot after and said, you know, we, we just have to play each other as if we're just a stranger because I think it's actually hurting us trying to help each other. And so it, it, it made it then, and it, it's still awkward when you, we knock out each other in a tournament. Uh, one of the worst was in Pearl River when I knocked her out of a satellite and, and she got a little upset that I knocked her out because of the hand I was playing and she had a strong hand. But there was another player between us and I'm still playing to to to, to win a seat. But like I told her, I said, in the end, when I knock you out of a satellite, I'm still paying for that seat <laughs> one way or the other then because <laughs> you're still going to play. So I said, you know, it. I'm definitely not trying to hurt you when I'm doing that. I'm, I'm, 
you know, just playing the way I feel I need to play uh, a satellite and look at myself and you as just two players and not as husband and wife. So, you know, sometimes it gets difficult because every hand that you have that, you're going to think about, do I really want to play this against her and possibly eliminate her from a tournament? Uh, it, it does make it more difficult because you don't want that to happen, but then you look back at when you played it to not hurt her, then you do hurt her and vice versa as well. So it it, it does add a, a layer that people, couples, or people that are not couples don't have. Do you agree with all that, Prissy? Any, any thoughts about it? Uh, yeah, pretty much because it's it's hard to put into words too because it we don't want to hurt each other game in a tournament in tournament play we don't you know we don't want to hurt each other but at the same time we have to play our game and I've gotten more aggressive against him in the in the past few years than I was in you know in the past uh, and I will. I've gotten to the point where I will play hands against him like I will play it against anybody else. And we've talked about that, that, you know, play your hand as if it's not me. You know, because you were with us on the table when we were in New Orleans, that final table. And that was tough because he was short stack and I had a stack of chips and I had to play my stack, but in the same time, I didn't want to knock him out, but sometimes you get involved in a hand. There's just nothing you can do about it. Right. So, uh, but the incident Chris, that happened you... at Pearl River when he busted me, yeah, I was a little ticked off, but it was also funny too because I was telling everybody afterward. I was asking, "Does anybody have an extra bed that Jerry can sleep in?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, a lot of us don't have to deal with uh, going back to the room with the person we busted. So that's that's a unique experience <laughs> for y'all. Yeah. Yeah. So, Prissy, you're heavily involved in Plon. I wanted to give you a chance to talk about that while you were on here. Can you tell us a little bit about what Plon is and um, how you got involved with it and some of the things y'all are doing this year? Okay, I can try. Um, PLON okay. stands for Poker League of Nations, which a lot of people are confused when they see the name. They don't realize it's a women's poker organization. And we are actually the largest uh, women's organization worldwide. We have a little over 8,000 members. And just in the past two years, actually, since COVID, our membership has pretty much doubled. Uh, since then. But we're involved in helping women get more involved in playing poker. And as you know, in the past that I've been hesitant to play in a lot of ladies events because they do play different than when you're playing an open event. You have to change your game up quite a bit. And I've played in more ladies events now. And it's gotten easier for me to play, but it's it's still a tough field because a lot of women that play think the men are out to get them. So 
they play their game a little bit different when they're playing against other women. But like I said, we're involved in trying to get more women involved in the game. And we have, actually, we have online events uh, that we play. We have a, we call it our donors league that we play. And each lady donates per month a $25 gift card. And we play four times a week, three no limit games and one Omaha. Well, actually, it's harsh, I believe, because I, I don't I don't usually play the mixed games, but uh, a lot more women are getting involved in those. But it's we've gotten a lot of success with that one, and gotten a lot of, a lot more women involved in getting more confident. And we're hoping that this confidence will bring them into more open events. And at Pearl River, I usually do the last woman standing for the main event, and we offer them a really nice prize package. And also around the country, they're doing pretty much the same thing. Uh, different areas are offering uh, ladies' events and promoting it to try to get more women involved in different poker rooms, which, in fact, Maryland Live right now, and I think, uh, I think there's one in Philadelphia, too, the same thing, that we have one of our ambassadors that's working on that the field is growing a lot in Florida a lot I find we have a lot of women here along the Gulf Coast but I've been having trouble getting them involved in a lot of our events more of them are playing online now but as far as getting events for ladies along the Gulf Coast we've had issues with that um, been working with, trying to work with Adam at the Beau Rivage to see if we can get uh, some ladies events. And my plan for the future is to get with Joelle to try to get uh, some ladies events at Harris in New Orleans, if we can do that. Even if it's not for a poker gras event, if we can maybe do once a quarter uh, to have a ladies event to try to bring in more women. So the, that's something that I have in mind for the future. So we will, you know, see what happens. I hope that happens. Um, it's interesting. I have some conversations with some parallels to that. So we'll have to, to get together after the, the podcast and chat about that. Um, with uh, me and Joel, I've been speaking about some stuff. So that that would be really cool if something like that could happen. Yeah, because... Um, yeah, because the thing with Adam at the Beau Rivage for January, because they're just bringing their event back, he didn't want to add any other vendors uh, to their, you know, to their event. So, you know, I understood that, but I plan to talk to him when I'm there to possibly do something similar that I'm thinking of doing in New Orleans is maybe once a quarter have a ladies event to see how many ladies we can get involved. Yeah. That would be great. I mean, we're big advocates of getting new players in. As we do our rookies event, we encourage everybody else to do it. And obviously, um, I'm always on your side in terms of, of having a ladies event. Sometimes the, the venue doesn't go for it, but <clears throat> hopefully uh, going forward, that's something that they will as well. Um, yeah, it, we can just test getting it out. Getting more people to the like game is I mean, it's good for everybody. Just getting them across that line, getting them in the casino, playing, seeing that it's, you know, it's pretty scary. That's the thing with the rookies event. 
a lot of people going to the casino first time, um, that's pretty intimidating. But we tend to forget that having played so much. But like you said, you played poker for what? I mean, Jerry played poker for months before you left the table games, right? Right. Yeah, it's probably closer to a year or two. Probably, yeah, probably, probably a year, year and a half before I actually set foot in the poker room and actually played. I just felt intimidated. It's like I didn't feel like I was good enough, you know, to be able to be able to get in that room with all these people that I felt like knew how to, you know, really knew how to play poker. I mean, that's uh, that just validates everything you've said about Juan and and what we're doing with the rookies event right there. Uh, yeah. Gene or Ben, do you guys have a question for Jerry and Prissy right now? Yeah. Um, so, Prissy, are, are you an officer or is it regionalized as far as a leadership for Plum? Uh I'm considered uh, an ambassador for, I guess, Louisiana, Miss, uh, Miss, around the, along the Gulf Coast region. And we have, okay. I think we have like 20 ambassadors worldwide, maybe 25. And I'm one of the ambassadors along the Gulf Coast. Jennifer Germany is in Georgia, and she's uh, pretty much has that area. And we have another ambassador that's in Florida. Most of our ambassadors are East Coast and West Coast. We don't have a lot along the Gulf Coast, and we're trying to expand that. With, like I said, with the events that we're trying to try to get more women involved. Good deal. Ben, do you have Can a question? Questions? Yeah, yeah, I have two, two maybe three questions. Um, yeah, first, Jerry, it's, it's always so nice to, to talk to y'all. And, um, you know, I, I feel like, um, you know, it's a breath of fresh air just stumbling across you, whether it's at the Harris or the Bow, Pearl River. You're, you know, such an integral part of the community. And so I'm wondering um, how how the pandemic affected you poker-wise, like how how y'all dealt with the, the difficulty of no longer having that outlet of just seeing so many familiar faces around the Gulf Coast scene. And, and, and if you learn anything about your relationship to poker, like not having that, that outlet, how, how, how was that for y'all? I guess I'll, I'll start off, Gene, um, yeah. our, our band. Um, we, we had uh, a little home game as well going at the time. And when pandemic hit, we were actually in Pearl River when they shut down and sent us home. And on our way home, we discussed whether or not we would keep the um, home game going. And we elected, now, you know, if, if the big casino is closing down, I think we should shut the home game down as well. We had a little weekly game with the, pretty much the same people uh, each week. So, yeah, it did affect us in, in that part. And, and right after getting home from Pearl River, we said, you know, we should not even go visit family and anything. And this is this is in March of 2020, so it's real new. Nobody knows a lot about what the uh, uh, virus is going to do. And, and, and so we were a little afraid that we were going to come back and have can, uh, have caught the virus and going to spread it to some of our friends or family. So we elected to stay for two weeks in our house and didn't allow our kids, anybody in to come visit. 
So we started to isolate ourselves you know, pretty much immediately. And, you know, as time went on, it got more and more difficult to even want to be with anybody. So poker kind of went down and that wasn't even a focus at that point. At that focus, at that, at that time, the focus was more or less staying healthy and, and not infecting anyone else. Um, and then it got to where, yeah, we were, we were starting to miss poker and that's when they all started to do the online thing and you know, we got to play poker again online so that kind of gave us that outlet for a while but then again that got old after a while and you're ready to just be with people and play again so i'd have to say my my part it it did allow me to you know refocus and uh, i didn't study as much i kind of lost uh the desire yeah i lost the interest in poker um so not studying and losing interest. And when we did start playing back live again, it's like I lost that edge. I I wasn't at the the peak anymore. I've I've kind of stumbled down. And even as of today, I feel like the pandemic has caused me not to want to play as much as I used to want to play. Which you know maybe is not a bad thing after all. I don't know. <laughs> so it's interesting that. Um, you say that um, I was looking at some stats before the interview, and I believe Jerry, you have cashed GCP events 19 times since the pandemic started, and Prissy, you have cashed 17 times since the pandemic started, which is pretty incredible uh, for both of you. And then I went a little deeper and looked on Hen and Mob to see where you guys rank in terms of total caches. Chrissy, I don't even know if you know this, but you are the number one female in Louisiana and ranked 26th overall in terms of number of total caches. And Jerry, really? you were in the top. Jerry, you were in the top 10. You are ninth overall in the number of caches in Louisiana. Oh, I, so I did not bring, realize that. Yeah. I didn't know that <laughs> so, at all. Great job, first of all, and thank you all for um, attending, supporting, and cashing in all these events we have. But next, I wanted to ask: Do obviously you guys don't track that because I broke the news to you? But do you guys compete at all? Is there a sense of competition between the two of y'all when <laughs> you, you guys go to a tournament or just overall in poker? Uh, I, I think it's more just poker that we compete. Uh, Everything else, uh, I think we sit and come to agreements, and I, I don't know that each of us strive to compete yeah, on no. anything else. Yeah, it's just poker, but poker is really funny because, especially if you know, when we go to Pearl River, because I mean, a lot of people will notice that more. But if I'm on a good run and I'm doing really, really well, I, I always tease him that. He's because everybody picks at him, like, hey, look, Chrissy's doing good. You need to step up. And he does. He always <laughs> has to outdo me. <laughs> so there is a healthy competition between the two of y'all. That's great. Yes, there is. is that, so that obviously you're saying that fuels Jerry to do better. Do you feel like it helps you do better when uh, Jerry's having success? No, I never really thought about it that way. It's like I it makes me want to do better, but it doesn't make me feel worse if he's doing better than me. 
if, if that if that makes any sense. You know, it, yep. it makes me want to. Yeah, it makes me want to. You know, it makes me want to cash and play better and do better. But it doesn't. I think the competition for him is like, well, I can't have her do better than me. But I don't. I don't get that. I don't do that. You know, I don't do it that way. If that makes sense. It does. Um, but you it's only two caches away from having well, I, I guess you need to cash three more G C P events and then you'll have bragging rights over him since the pandemic for the most amount of caches <laughs> between the two of you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. So I just put that on your to do list. I don't know uh if you keep that or your goals or whatever, but um uh I can track that for you if you'd like. Um, I'll put that in the back of my mind. You know what? Well, that's so, a GCP because the Beau Rivage is not going to be a GCP event. So, because he's not going to be there in January, because I will be. Oh, so, okay. that's not going to count. Y'all have to join us in March. We'll be back at Pearl River, and I'm pretty sure you both qualified for the GCP Tour Championship. Uh, I think it would be impossible for you not to ask, but um, that's I, March 8th. I, I wasn't sure about him. Yeah. Yeah, what what what's uh -oh. strange when you say stuff like that, Bill, I I don't track much of what I do. I'm I'm you know, I, I even go back to when I played sports, if I played a basketball game, I I was competitive to the end, no matter how far behind we were, I always felt like I can win. But once the game was over, I was done. It's like I didn't look back and say, Hey, we won or we lost or where we at or anything. It was just each game was independent. And, and that's really how I play poker today is I just go play that one tournament. And when it's done, I go on to the next. So I, I don't look back other than at the end, I, I do calculate uh, winnings and losses and, and know where I'm at there. But as far as keeping track of where I'm at anywhere, the only thing I do, and, and it's mostly because of Levi and Dusty, Dustin, that uh, the caches in Pearl River when I was, ranking in first place and they were catching up and we were back and forth it, it was a lot of fun with them just egging each other on for that but besides that i don't i don't really know or track where i'm at overall i just go to play that one tournament and that's where I'm, i feel competitive that i'm just trying to win that one tournament right. where well, do you stand with those guys what's that um, I asked, uh, where do you stand with, Le uh, so you're talking about Levi Cardin and Dustin Stewart. Where do you stand right now in terms of all-time caches at Pearl River yeah, and, with and, those and guys? You see that, that, and, and that's how important it is to me. I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> um, if, if, um, if I were going to Pearl River tomorrow, I would probably look it up to see where I'm at and, and go approach them, both them guys, whether I'm ahead or behind. Uh, you know, if I'm ahead, I'm going to say, hey, try to catch me. If I'm behind, I'm going, hey, I'm catching you. And and those guys are doing the same thing with me. So, I mean, that, it's just a lot of fun. And you know, it just shows us the competition, and it's not that important to me uh, as to whether or not I am first or second. It's just fun with the, you know, the social aspect of that competition, I guess. So, Jerry, I'm going to ask you in a little bit <clears throat> about your main event run. Uh, we're, we always love to hear stories about that, but I want to make sure I'm not missing out on any questions from Gene or Ben. 
Gene or Ben, do you have uh, any follow-up questions or anything that you want to ask at this point? Yeah, I, I got a question. Uh, speaking of winning, Jerry, um, I, I see your top cashes for 68K. Um, and I, I see you were heads up with one of our former guests, Tim Burt. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Did you, did you, was there a chop? Did y'all play heads up? How long did y'all play heads up? Uh, so on and so forth. Yeah, good, good question. Uh, and, and actually I did not get heads up with Tim Burke. We did do a three-way chop. Uh, and th this was, um, like four in the morning. I'm playing against guys half age and, and Tim <laughs> did not want to chop. And so Tim's the really the one that negotiated the chop because the guy that was in third place uh, was afraid he was going to be the next knocked out. So he gave up some of his uh, winnings to to Tim, which made Tim come out, you know, enough to where he was willing to chop. And and I was willing to chop because one, I fell asleep once. <laughs> uh, I was that <laughs> exhausted. Secondly, I didn't put up a big blind and folded my hand when when Tim had uh, had folded his hand. So the small blinds in the hand, and I throw mine mine in the muck. But yeah, it's like I just wasn't paying attention because I had not yet posted my big blind. And at that point, I go, I need a chop before I'm third guy out of this. Yeah, he um, tired. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I was just exhausted. But a few days later played in the monster stack and that's where I did get heads up with Mark Davis. And I, I don't recall the exact, I think it may have been the first hand or second hand. Mark played pocket aces very well against me because I shoved and uh, I, and he, he knocks me out almost. And it may have been the first hand. I don't really recall. And, and he knocked me out of that tournament. So I'd end up in second place. So that, when you said heads up, it may be you were talking about the uh, monster stack a few days after the uh, opener that I chopped with, uh, with Tim Burt. Yeah, that's, that's running good, getting aces the first hand heads up for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he played it so well. And, uh, he, he just It's like he limped in, I think, and I don't recall what hand I had, but I shoved against him, and, you know, he had me out-chipped by a lot, and I knew I had to, you know, make some, get some chips there, and so when I shoved, I was just trying to pick up his chips, and he he calls me and turns over aces, and I, I was out. But, that, yeah, that was a good run for me. All right, Ben? Ben, uh, you got anything? Yeah, yeah, I guess one question that sort of connects to Bill's point about about GCP caches is um yeah, I was wondering um what motivates y'all and, and if there's sort of a, a poker bucket list that you're that you're pursuing. Um I, I think it's interesting, Jerry, that you, you said like caches don't really you know, they don't really motivate you so much. Um and so I'm just wondering if you know, you want to travel internationally and play some some sort of different tor sort of tournaments, or if you you want to go back and play the main event, or if there there are other things on your poker bucket list that um yeah that you're that you're interested in in uh, pursuing. Uh, yeah, it's a good question. 
I don't think I have a bucket list. I've I've got to the point where I'm, you know, I just take it day at a time. But that's kind of how I live now. Uh, I mean, since I've retired and which has been nearly ten years now, um, I've my bucket list is is completed. <laughs> uh, I've done things that, you know, I feel like I've challenged myself and. Uh, I guess the only if if we had to go to a bucket list and, and it's more Percy's bucket list than mine, although I'm the one that brought it up years ago is that we wanted to one year just travel the whole circuit and play all the circuit events. Well, as many of them as we could. Uh, yeah, maybe not all of them, but as as many as we could to uh, just go to all the venues for the circuit. So I, I don't know if that will ever happen. And like I said, it it's more. Prissy's goal or bucket list item now than it is mine, although it was me who brought that up years ago. I think I lost that interest, whereas she's hanging on to it. Well, COVID kind of screwed up a lot of stuff. And I'm more social than Jerry, so I guess that's where I feel like it would be a really fun thing to do and get to know a lot more people around the country playing the circuit and playing, you know, different circuit events. I know this past year we actually had, I had talked talk to him about going to Aruba. I would love to have, I'd love to do that event. Yeah, that sounds like fun. For sure. Yeah, Bonnie and, Bonnie and Lonnie had tried to get, tried to get us to go to Aruba this past year. Who's the better poker couple, Jerry and Prissy or Bonnie and Lonnie? Oh shoot! I can't answer that. <laughs> uh, well, no, I'm putting you on the spot. I told you I was coming with the hard questions today. Well, well, I can definitely answer one part of it, and I'll go me versus Lonnie. Lonnie's the more aggressive player for sure, and I would say that he's a better player than I am. I I haven't played with Bonnie very much to even know how she plays. Bonnie doesn't play yeah. as much as I do. So I really can't answer that either. But I kind of would agree with Jerry with Lonnie. Lonnie is a lot more aggressive than all of us, the five of us right here, uh, <laughs> playing. So he, you know, he's super aggressive. And so I mean, he's also what he has two rings under his belt. Yeah. And we have none. I think between the two of us, I think I came the closest to getting one. Finishing second a few years ago with the IP, that was a bummer. But anyway, was that? But yeah, is that your that. biggest poker memory? Uh, is that your biggest poker memory or accomplishment or the tournament you feel best about? I don't know if that was. No, I, th I think I played really well. In fact, that was one of the tournaments that he and I were actually final table together. He was on that table as well. Um, but I think I played really well. I did. I was disappointed I didn't win, but it just it came close. But I don't know if that's one of my biggest memories. I probably the biggest memory would probably be the year I won my seat to play the main event because I played a satellite and won it. And I won it in a ladies event. 
that I won the satellite. But that's probably one of my biggest memories. And I really appreciate being a minion this past year, and that was probably, that's, that's probably the next memory, too, because that one, I was really disappointed in my play on day two because of when I busted. I just felt like I let so many people down. Yeah, that is the that is kind of the price of being a minion is is you feel this responsibility to all these people who bought pieces of you and uh, invested in you and mm-hmm. and it's a great opportunity. It's so exciting, but then sometimes I don't know. Having been one myself, it feels a little bit like it's um, weighs on you when you make some big decisions. Did you find that to be the case? Exactly. Yes, exactly. Because like he said, when he played his first main event how nervous he was. The very first time I played when I had won my seat, I wasn't nervous at all playing. I felt like it was, I was playing like any other tournament. But when I sat, before I sat down to play the main, when I, being a minion, I was really nervous. My stomach was upset. And I just felt like I wasn't just playing for me. I was playing for a lot of other people. And I don't know if y'all realize this, Jerry has done packages before where he sold percentages of his play. I've never, ever done that. So I've never had other people, you know, backed me and invested in me when I played. This was the first time. So that really weighed on me, especially when I busted. I literally went in the bathroom and cried the day I busted the main event. Because I was so upset that I was out, and I had I felt like I let not just myself but a lot of other people down as well. Well, it, I mean, if it makes you feel any better, I, I think the best way to look at it is people invest in you because they trust your decision making, and almost everybody that is a minion investor is also a player, and they realize that only ten percent or the main event, fifteen percent of people cash, and situations and spots come up in any tournament. Sometimes in poker, you just get cornered and it's, you, you're not going to be able to, there's hands you can't overcome, or there's maybe a run of cards you can't overcome and, and situations that, you know, you can't beat. And people realize that when they make that investment, they understand in a one tournament situation, there's an element of luck to it. And some stuff's just out of your control. Right, and 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 yeah. I and I realized that, and I knew that then, but it still didn't make me feel any better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get that. So, Jerry, I know we're, we're. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Prissy. Oh no, go ahead. Uh, no, I was just going to say we're running kind of tight on how long we do our, our podcast, and I think uh, Ben and Gene are maybe going to have a couple more questions too. But I want to make sure that you talk about your main event run. Um. How how deep did you get? How many days did you play? What was going through your head? And, and just kind of walk us through that experience for you. Okay, what, which main event are you talking about? Because I I played the your main best event. run. Okay, so I mean that, that, that was that that was the first run then. Uh, my okay. first time I played the main event. Um, and when mm-hmm. I played that main event, I saw. I, I want to say about forty percent that I I sold mm-hmm. to play, so I put up the majority of the money. Um, 
And that's what Prissy said when I played that. The first two hours I played, I did not play any hands. And the first hour in, uh, my stomach was turning. I was as nervous as could be um, just playing the main event. And, and it's like I sat down at the table, nine-handed, before it started. And when the music started playing and they said, put the cards in the air is when I, uh, I, I, my stomach just started turning. So I was super nervous, but day one worked out great. Um, there were nine players at our table we started with, and we finished with the same nine players. We all finished with nearly starting stack. We had no pros at our table, which I think is why it ended day one that way. So I go into day two feeling, you know, that I'm doing okay because I'm still at starting stack and I feel fine. I feel like I played okay. You know, after I calmed down, I played. Um, I end up making it to day five. Um, and the fifth day, one of the, uh, I guess, the, the key um, hand that I played was we're 45 from the money on day three. Um, it's, I'm kind of backing up from the day five. I made it to day five, but day three was kind of the critical day. We're 45 from the money on, on day three, and the pulls to the button. Everybody's playing really slow at this point, and the button raises a young guy uh, that raises pretty much every button that that it folded to him, and just a little two, uh, just barely over two x-rays. And I looked down at two kings, which the same scenario had happened to me before with him. And I just two and a half X his raise and he folded the previous time. Only this time he went all in and he had uh, me covered. So now it's back on me and I look at my chips. I look at the 45 from the money and he tells me just fold and make the money. I'm standing on the rail watching. And wow. I, I tank and everybody's looking at me and I go, I apologize because I never tank. Um, and everybody said, take your time. You know, it's important. And one guy that's really shorter than me is going, oh, take all the time you need. <laughs> uh, yeah. And yeah, I'm counting my chips now and I'm looking up and go, gee, can, can I make it? Can I fold to the money at this point? I, I you know, I look at that, you know, I don't know if I can fold to the money. I might not have enough chips to even do that. He's white as a ghost at this point. <laughs> uh, so I I make the call. He turns over ace eight, I believe, of course. Eight six. Eight six. Eight six. Eight six. So I sit there and I look at that and go, oh, my gosh, you know, no ace, no ace. The flop comes out. And I don't see that the flop before the other side of the table sees it. And you know that feeling when the, everybody goes, ah, <laughs> uh, two aces, two aces hit the flop. I'm sitting down at that point. I bend down. I grab my backpack from under my chair and I'm getting up. And, uh, you know, I, I have this weird feeling, you know, I just busted the main event. And you know, just really feel weird until the king hits the turn. And I let out a high pitched squeal, I'm told. Yeah, he sounded like a little girl. Uh, 
Yeah, it was. Uh, and everybody from around came looking there. And, you know, I, at that point, I think I won the hand, right? But there's still one card to come. And, and he's got trip aces. So he still can win the hand. But at that point, I, I can't even think that far in advance. I'm just, you know, excited that I did not bust. And uh, the river was a blank. And I made it doubled up and went on to day five. And day five, I finished at 207 out of 7,200 something entries that were in that main event at that time. And that was Great in 20, 2017. Yeah. Chrissy, what were you yeah, thinking was, when uh, he went in the tank? Like, so you're behind him. You see him go in the tank for a long time. Were you in your head thinking fold or call or what, what oh, was going no, through your I'm mind? Thinking fold. Um, <laughs> I don't know. When when he, he mouthed to me, because I forget where the table was, but I'm on the rail, and I'm not far from him. And he mouthed to me that he was all in. And I'm thinking to my in my head, like, oh, crap. You know, he could he could bust right here close to the money bubble. And I'm just thinking, I don't, I don't really know, can't remember what I was actually thinking in my head. I just, I know I didn't want him to bust because I knew he was going to be really upset if he did bust that close to the money. But what are you going to do right there? Fold kings to the money, you know, right at that point. And that's kind of what he was thinking. And when the king hit the turn and he let out that scream, <laughs> it, it was it was really funny when it happened. And I still stick at him that he screamed like a little girl. <laughs> but, but yeah, to answer your question, Bill, uh, in my head, after I shoved all in, I thought he was just going to fold because he was just making a move. And when he when he didn't just snap, because the time before when I had Kings and he, he just snap folded and he showed an ace when he snap folded. And and I'm sitting there going, uh-oh, he's got a hand. He's, he's probably got an under pair. He doesn't have aces. He would, he would have snap called at that point. So, yeah, I was going fold because I did not want to race against Ace King or or anything really. He in a small pair, I did not want to I did not want it. I just wanted to win that pot. Yeah, and and I didn't I didn't look at the scenario before I went all in of saying he might call. I just you know, I, I figured he's folding right here. He's not calling me. Well, didn't you didn't you have didn't you say that you're stacked to that if you would have folded, you would not have had enough chips to make it to the money. Uh, I'm not sure if I could have made it to the money. It was one of those when I started looking at how quickly the count was going down on the how far we were from the money and how many revolutions it would take me after I raised them because I didn't have a lot of chips to start that, that hand. So to raise him <coughs> almost committed me to, to going all in, and 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 I didn't, I I kind of didn't calculate that far down the road of what he might do. I just assumed I got kings, he's gonna fold, and if he doesn't, I'm calling. But then when he tanked and and shoved, it's like, oh boy, he didn't just call, and I I see a flop and know where I'm at. So I just yeah, I didn't I didn't look at a scenario of him shoving at that point. And so when he did, that kind of surprised me. And when he tanked, that 
I was just saying, vo, 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 vo. So, uh, Gene or, or Ben, you guys got some additional questions. That's everything uh, from me that I prepared. Yeah, I'm good. I, I just have. I just have one more. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I, I can remember the last time we, we sat down for an interview for CJ. It was after day one of your, your main event run that you just described back in 20, 2017. Yeah. And so, I mean, to me, that feels like a lifetime ago. So, so my, last, my last question is, um, do you miss the Rio? And uh, how, how do you like the, the, new, the new location at uh, Bally's Paris? Yeah, besides the the heat in the room the first day over at Bally's, uh, I like I like that venue better myself. Me too. Yeah, it seems it seems like that's the consensus. Everybody I've talked to um, isn't missing the Rio all that much, which is a good thing. Yeah, I think so. They just need to cut down on the stampedes. If they can limit that to none a year, then I think it's a good location. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, we had an earthquake at the Rio, but no stampedes. So. Yeah. What, what the firecracker well, episode. That Is that what you're talking about, Bill? Stampede, the firecracker episode. Uh, they. Yeah, I'm not sure if they figured it out. It was like a broken plate glass window. It's kind of like this um, waterfall effect. They, they, there was a stampede of people this year starting down the strip, and somehow it got to Paris, and people got up and um, were running out the casino and running over each other and knocking over tables. Um, yeah. I think it was yeah. after the main event. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, Either yeah, it might have been right after because I know it was after we left. We had already left. It happened yeah. a few days yep. after we left. Good deal. All right, Prissy and Jerry, I uh, want to thank y'all for coming on. Uh, really appreciate it. And that's a wrap. You guys uh, take care. Y'all have a good day. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks again. All right. See you. Thanks.